This sermon, Our Refuge After the Storm, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, February 19, 2022, at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning. Oh, what a joy it is to gather with you, hear you all singing into the back of my head as I was on the front row. I just love it. Absolutely love it. What a joy it is to worship God along with you. If you would turn in the scriptures this morning to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. If you would stand with me, please. While you turn to Acts 28, I believe the Lord wants to encourage you in a unique way this morning, particularly towards hope, but a unique kind of hope, an additional hope. I think think it's right for me to say this, that it would be a, a hope after hope after hope. I don't know what is going on in your personal lives. I Many of you I don't know. Many of you I do know. And some of you that I know, this will wash over your soul. I know it will. It'll grant you hope. But you may have come burdened today, needing hope. And here in the scriptures is your hope. Christ, in the end, is your ultimate hope. And let's hear his word this morning out of Acts chapter 28. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up Or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come on him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that The father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, They put on board whatever we needed. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. 
Lord, words of encouragement and hope we so desperately need. I've got a a raised voice, a, a happy smile. They certainly do the soul good at times, but God, there is a hope that we need that is a spiritual hope. No man in and of himself can bring. And so my prayer is that you would bring that hope. The hope that's held out in your word, God, I pray that it would come to each man and woman present this morning, that it would come alive, that hope would come alive in them because you have done so. It has been done by your power. Lord, guard, guard the preaching of your word. Keep me hemmed in. Keep my thoughts trained on what you are saying in the text. And then, Lord, also fill me with your spirit and let me speak freely of your goodness as declared in your word. And God, I pray for the hearers of your word this morning that they would leave here different. You love your church and you have given us your word. Lord, receive honor that is due your name. Jesus, it's in your name. We together pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the overarching big idea, I would think, at least if I could pin it this way, is God is not done revealing his grace, his power, and purposes after the storm. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard Derek preach out of the previous portion of Scripture at length regarding a shipwreck that's well known in history. You can go look it up. And yet in today's text, we find out that there is something else continuing to go on after the storm. Great hope, uh, unimaginable hope has come at the salvation of these men through this shipwreck. God's divine power spared their lives. In fact, prophetically spoke about it ahead of time to Paul, we heard from his word. And yet we have the opening words in verse 1. In chapter 28, after we were brought safely through, the story continues. The hopefulness continues. God is not done revealing his grace and power and purposes even after the storm. He has brought us safely through, but he's brought us safely through for a reason. He has brought us safely through to glorify his name to reveal his power and rule and show that he is a gracious God, our powerful God, and he will advance the good news of his name. The gospel will go forth. What a great hope we have again and again and again in Acts and again in today's text. After the storm, a great hope comes. We have found hope again here as Luke continues on telling God's story. After the storms in this life, after he has brought us safely, you and I, we can use that storm reference easy. 
You don't have to be alive long without knowing this life is full of storm after storm, desperate situations. But God is not done even after the storm. You and I have that sense that builds up finally at rest after the storm. And that is his gift. And he continues working after the storm. He's not done. He's not done working in us. He's not done working through us because he continues to advance his gospel. God is never done revealing his grace, his power, his purposes. And today, after the storm. So I've broken this into two points. The first one is God is our refuge after the storm. So let's read again the first six verses. Actually, not the first six. Let's just read the first verse. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Now, sometimes when you're reading your scriptures, this is a helpful thing to remember. Names are really important in the scriptures. We have the sense of the text is an an occurrence that is after the storm, beginning with that word, after we were brought through safely. Right after the words, we were brought safely to land in verse 44 in the previous chapter, and after we were brought safely through, and then they named the island. It's curious, but here's why. There is a refuge following the storm, and it's in the text. F.F. Bruce writes of the word Malta. It's the name of the island that was originally given by the Phoenician sailors in whose language Melita is the actual word. It meant refuge. (laughs) Sorry. It's in the text. And sometimes we miss it by the name, so look these things up. I would encourage you. uh, Get your dictionary I have a dictionary in my office, um, but you could find this on Google in a heartbeat. Malta is refuge. God's providential shore that these cold and drenched sailors and passengers, soldiers and prisoners crawling out of the sea and onto the shoreline is named refuge. They were shortly before this, terrified, worn out, starving, and confused. They thrashed, paddled their way. They thrashed and paddled their way onto the beach. For weeks, they had fought the storm, could not land. And they fought the storm, and they fought with each other. Day and night, they were met with worsening conditions and desperations. They eventually had lost and had to give up everything. They had lost everything, everything but their lives. They had survived. They had lived. And relieved that they were alive, they must have thought that they were alive must have ruled the moment. God had brought them through the storm in a much lesser way, much lesser way, 
I did the idiotic thing of renting along with my wife and other dear friends of the family that I will never go on vacation with again because of this, an inflatable kayak. It was the dumbest thing in the world for a guy who thinks he can control a boat. I have no idea what I'm doing on a boat. I was born in El Paso, the desert, for a reason. Oh, I think I'm a boatman. <laughs> I don't even know what to call myself. I think I'm a sailor. I remember standing on the shoreline, and everyone's in their dumb wetsuits, or at least I was in my dumb wetsuit, and I'm thinking, which one of these dummies is going to go in the water first? Well, can you imagine who it was? <laughs> the first rapids we go through, I go through backwards and then upside down, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and you can laugh all you want, Derek. I thought I was going to die. I was breathing so hard, I put my vest on real tight, I couldn't, gra I couldn't, even, I couldn't even get a breath in, wore a stupid ball cap under my helmet, water's pouring over my face, so I feel like I'm under 50 feet of water. As I come out of the water, all I know is the guide rows back into the rapids, grabs me and yells, get in the boat, I don't, he pulls me in, and that's the rest of the story, except for this one sweet moment. About an hour and a half later, the storm was over. We round a corner and my wife is on a boulder like this. Honey, are you okay? <laughs> my wife is the real athlete in the family. and She made it through this with no problem. We have the photographic evidence. You ever come to our home, ask me about it. Those, you know, those photos that cost like 150 bucks at the end of the ride? Lisa going through like, like the trainer would go through and me rolling out of the boat. But I remember in the shallows, desperate for my life at one moment, thinking, I'm alive. Imagine these men, night after night after night, surely were dead. Like really dead, not like rolling around on the shallow stream that I was in my boat on. Night after night, after night. So after we were brought safely through, we land on refuge. Paul and his companions' lives are spared from crash landing, the crash land that they had just experienced, and from the sword that they had almost faced, read before it. And now they're met with the beautiful truth that they're alive and that God has saved them in the storm and through the storm. And yet in today's text, we're going to keep on looking. He was not done. They now will experience that God will be their refuge also after the storm. We preach and believe that God will be there for us in the midst of our storms, that he will be our refuge in the midst of the storm, certainly. But here we find that God comes after the storm in a unique way to these men. I love considering the amazing truth of God's design in creation long before this. God would say, Malta will be its name, and I will place refuge right here, just for them. They will see that I will provide refuge for them after the storm. The storm, the shattered stern, the centurion, the reef, Malta, they'll see that I am their refuge, and I will continue to be their refuge 
And then you and I remember Psalm 30, verse 55. Weeping may tarry during the night, but joy, it will come. Joy comes in the morning. Our great salvation is certain when we remember that God has said, I will save you and I will be at work saving you. And in the end, you will be saved. And now we have verse 2. The native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Picture the scene. Their lives are almost lost. They're crawling out of the craggy rocks and on the sandy beach, gasping, barely making it. It's cold on this island, and then it begins to rain on them. And God in his providence through the natives on this island shows his disciples, shows his missionaries a unique an unusual kindness. It was cold. The natives built a fire. They were wet. They'll now be able to dry out. And he doesn't just pour out this unusual kindness. He provides divine protection in verses 3 through 6. Let's read together. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Of course, of course, in Derek and our work in choosing who's going to preach what text, I would get the one with the snake in it. I hate snakes. If you know me even for a minute, my dear friend uh, and also in-law, he calls me one day and says, Tom, are you aware that every various kind of rattlesnake is in the Tucson area. Like all its different forms, I don't even know if species is the right word. And I'm thinking, get a shotgun. I'm scared to death of these things. Of course I would get the one with the viper in it. But what's interesting about this text is it goes on in length to describe what's going on when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said to one another, no doubt this is a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But, they, um, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Boy, if there was ever a moment to remember in our dull thinking in an unregenerated mind, one moment he's a murderer. The next moment he's in line with all the Greek gods of what just happened. This is just way outside of their understanding and their wheelhouse. But this is in their understanding. They knew that these men are pouring off of this shipwreck. And they held a belief that actually you and I hold as well. That misfortune, trouble, sorrow, grief, it has to be tied to sinfulness of man. And so even in their pagan view, and I'll explain that a little bit more, so hang in there. In their pagan view, they had this view, every bad thing that came your way was due to something you personally had done bad. 
And in this case, they refer to a goddess named Justice. She's the pagan Greek goddess Nemesis or Justice. In fact, looking back in history and depending on the timing of the commentary, it's either the mother, mother, mother or daughter or both of them have now pursued Paul. They failed in their attempt to kill him at sea and now they're pursuing Paul under the shores of this island and ensuring that he pays for his wrongdoing. I need a tissue, sweetie. Do you have me one? Or a box. That'd be great. Now don't run along too, too fast as if we don't believe like this. What did they do, we think, to ourselves? It's normal to think that someone's done wrong if something bad's happening to them. That's in us. Now, what I loved about what Calvin said about this, Calvin says it's right to connect sorrow and suffering and difficulty to sin that's in the world. But we know biblically from other texts that because something bad happens to you or me doesn't always mean it has anything to do with our sin. So generally speaking, all sorrow and suffering is due to sin. But they hold this specific belief, which by the way is shared by Jews in other contexts. It's shared by the Gentiles certainly in this context and it's shared by you and I that we had that little private thought of like, okay, he must have done something really bad. Well, actually, we find out from the scriptures that's not the case. God often in his providence, in the midst of suffering and sorrow, is going to reveal his goodness, his power, his mercy. That's the reason for the trouble. If we're wrestling with that, we should always be in trouble because of our sinfulness. Biblically, God is holy, we're the sinners, it should always be the storm, never relief in the end. But in this case, this pagan view is, this guy must be a murderer. It's so bad that she fails at sea, she's now going to get him in the shore. So they're just waiting for him to drop off any second. And by the way, I still can't get away from that flaming viper, just in case if you're wondering if I'm still worried about this. I'm thinking, take me out any other way, but do not let a flaming viper attach itself to my hand and hang there. To me, that seems like the worst way to die. Just telling you, welcome to my world. But what's interesting is you cannot kill God's man under God's divine protection. You cannot kill God's man who's under God's divine protection. Paul tells the sailors in the previous scenes, take heart, not a hair on your head is going to perish. Take heart, God has even given me a vision, we're going to crash land, we're going to be saved, it's going to be on some island, and the joy is it's refuge. Sometimes the storms that we have just been brought through, they seem as if they're going to kill us. But we see at least this one thing. We did not die. We should have died, but we did not die. On our hands and knees, cold, wet, barely able to breathe. We cannot take one more thing, it seems. Not one more thing. And when that one more thing comes, be assured, if it's according to God's plan, it will not take you out. 
that one more thing is not going to take you out. Take heart, Christian. God is not done taking care of you. In the storm, take heart. After the storm, take heart. One more thing will not destroy you. Luke spares no detail. The clamping on, the hanging on, it's as if for sure he's going down. The natives, justice has got him and has got him in her clutches. I would have been screaming like a junior high girl. Now, if you're a junior high girl, don't take offense at what I just said. If a snake had come out on fire and attached itself to me, I would have been screaming and running around and blacked out and died by hitting a rock. I'm sure that's what would have happened. But here in the text, he, however, verse 5, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. There's some clues in the text about the disposition of Paul's heart regarding what's happening Paul's a man like any of us, but he is also a unique man. God had uniquely prepared him. This doesn't mean in the moment that he's not maybe tempted towards fear, like, oh my gosh, there's a snake on me. But what is clear in the text is that, oh my gosh, there's a snake on me, does not affect him seemingly at all any further. He's just like, and just shakes the snake off. Back in, now I would have been like, we got to put a tourniquet. Someone's got to suck that poison out of there. I'm not going to. Someone save me. Call, an e, call the EMT. Do something and get me out of here. Paul shakes it off seemingly as if it's nothing. Now, look, you might think I'm reading that into the text. Well, if I am, then I'm joining every single commentator that have written about this. They're saying it's very clear by Luke's choice of words. And by the way, Paul and Luke are like sitting there together as they pin this. Be like, Luke's like, look, there's some things I'm going to include. And Paul's like, yeah, so what? You write, you want to put that in? Go ahead. It would almost be as if the apostle Paul's like, that was not a big deal. Because God had promised not a hair on our heads was going to perish. So in a way, maybe there would be that agreement. Now, I don't want to diminish the power of God at work in the writers of Scripture. The details are there for you and I to see. It was bad, and now it seems worse. Paul thinks, not even for a second, that it's going to take him out. There's no shame for anybody when the storms have come your way and one more thing hits you and knocks you down. There's no shame for you. This text is not preaching, so look, Paul... That guy's got some serious courage. He is anchored in a truth that right now I'm not anchored in. And then shame begins to flood. And like, why am I giving away? All the more, I feel like, I'm going to use my phrase again, I feel like a junior high girl response on this. I have no manliness that's going to get me through this. Nothing is going to gird me up and carry me through this. I can't do this. I'm given over to paralysis in my thinking. I can't think any further than just maybe the next moment. There is no shame in this. That's the human dilemma. Suffering is real. Suffering is certain in some cases. But in this case, Paul is guarded by a truth that he has survived because of God's divine intervention. He will continue to survive because of God's divine protection. Nothing will harm or hinder us if we're under God's divine protection. 
Remember, remember gospel hope in this moment. Here's what we get. We get brought safely through. What did we deserve? According to the gospel, what did we deserve? We deserve to be lost already in the storm. Here's what we get. We get unusual kindness of God. What we deserved was his justified wrath. So, not that just justice, some pagan goddess would follow Paul onto the shore. That God would have made certain that he was long dead on the bottom of the sea. What do we get? We get fire to be warmed when what we deserved was fire to consume us. We deserve, I mean, what we got was a viper. And we were able to shake the viper into the fire. What we should have got was eternal fire ourselves. We should have been shaken from the hand of God directly back into the fire forever. And what we got was no misfortune in the text when what we deserve was the loss of everything and including our lives and soul. Isn't the gospel beautiful? The how is coming. How is it possible that God would protect sinners at all? How is it possible that God would protect sinners at all? Answer Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a great exchange that has occurred in the gospel. Jesus gets handed over to be crucified while you and I are brought through safely. Jesus receives the wrath that we deserve while you and I get unusual kindness. Jesus gives it all, even his life, unto death. You and I will live forever in his kingdom. That's accomplished by the gospel. Now when we read Psalm 62, 7 through 8, then we begin to taste. God is really our refuge. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, all times, in the storm and after the storm. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. In the storm, Jesus is our refuge. After the storm, Jesus remains and still is our refuge. After the storm, the message and power of the cross, of the gospel, Christ's purposes, they're not done. After the storm, the power of the cross forever remains the anchor for our hearts as we pour them out before him. But God is not done revealing his grace and power and purposes after uh, only in the storm because he's not done in revealing it after the storm. Point number two, God's work he now performs. God's work he now performs. Remember a minute ago I used a, an imagination of what it must have been like at creation when God said, the island's going to go right here, right where the shipwreck 
is going to actually save these men. And it's going to be called Malta. But you know, on that island is a people that need him as well. Now, there's great provision for the missionaries, but the missionaries are on their way to a people. And by the way, those people ultimately got to you and I. Acts 28, 7 through 10. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After the storm, after the storm, God has work that he will perform. After the storm, God has work that he will perform. Here is our great hope all the more. The hope gets extra specific, gets extra clear, as God himself, his gospel, is at work right where they were, right where we are. God delivers his gospel evangelists after the storm to this island of Malta, right where God and his companions had washed up on shore. God still had them on mission right where they were. Their suffering, their trial, their storm delivered them right where God had intentionally delivered them for the furtherance of the gospel. They were not lost another mile out to sea. Their anchors weren't cut free too soon. Every single step of the way in the desperation over days and nights and days and nights through this storm was designed not only that these men's would be, their lives would be spared along with the other people in the boat, is so that God would deliver them on mission safely to this man, deliver them safely to his father, deliver them safely to all the people in the island that made their way to Paul for healing. He has work for them right where they were delivered, right where they are. His extraordinary kindness had been poured out on them, and provision for them was given. But now we're going to find in the text that God will continue to provide. In verse 7, in the neighborhood, right there in their place, God provides for them. For three days, these men are fed and are cared for. I love the words, entertained us hospitably. It's, it's not just saying they took care of us and they moved on. We dumbed that down sometimes. There were thing after thing after thing that were done for these men to provide for them hospitably for three days. Well, God strengthens and provides for them all that they need for the gospel work at hand. We're going to discover as we get to verse 11 that after three months, all that's going on now in Malta lasts over the winter months. So it is a refuge. It's cold. 
And winter is setting in on this island, and so they're not going to go anywhere. And if you remember the story, they were told you shouldn't have gone in the first place. I think they're all listening now, mostly because there's probably no boat departing now. They're safely tied up, and these guys are like, "Uh uh-uh, didn't you just see what happened? But no, this is what's at work. This is what is at hand. Gospel work is at hand. A few years ago, following the loss of one of our grandsons, Lisa and I returned home. We could barely get out of bed. But day by day, God met us and provided for us time and again, over and over, in different ways after different ways, he provided for us hospitably by our friends, by our church, with meals, visitation. Day by day, God strengthened us. But soon we found out the reason he did it, and we're still finding out the reason he did it, is he's not done work at work. We had been through seemingly like a nightmare of a storm, and we got through the storm, and day by day, the Lord provided and strengthened us because his work of gospel work was going to continue on. At the grocery store, We began, we learned something in our grief. We need to tell people when they ask you, how are you doing today? That you don't just say, I'm doing great and go sob in the car. We learned, no, we tell them what happened. They would stop what they were doing and listen at length. And we were able to tell them how the Lord was getting us through. What a nightmare it was, but what he was doing to get us through. At the grocery store and at restaurants and at work, he had gospel work for us. He was going to perform from the cashier to the workplace, from the coworker to even my chief information officer who drew me into her office one day and said, Tom, how are you? I could have said, we're doing well, Alice. Thank you for asking. She could have given me the thumbs up. I would have known that she really cared. I didn't. I stopped in her office and told her at length the story, how hard it was, but how faithful God was being to us. By the end of the meeting, she was broken, said she had a friend who had lost a child as well, and it received on her hope. I said I had a book for her. I got the book finally to her. In the parking lot and at the pulpit, person after person would make their way to us. After the storm, God's work is still at work. Ministering right where we are, that gospel work continues. And I love these words in verse 8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. You write that in the first century, it's not going to go well for you. There is no hope in that sense, other than a vain, I hope this turns around so how kind of God to have delivered them for refuge, but how kind of God to deliver them to this island of refuge, and how kind of God to deliver Paul, who has the power of God being carried forth on the gospel to meet this man whose father lay desperately sick. Paul, listen to these words, visited him, prayed, and put his hands on him, healing him. 
visiting, praying, ministering. And then verse 9, when all of this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. The original word for the word cured is in what's called the imperfect tense. And what that means is it is happening over and over and over and over and over without that. In other words, the way it was said is they were being cured nonstop. The feel for us is for three months <laughs> on this island, God kept healing and healing and healing and healing and healing and ministering and ministering and ministering. Prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, laying hands on person after person after person after person. Gospel work continued, and it continued after this storm. There was no final retreat. There was no final um, rest on vacation. There was no final retirement. If I was Paul, it would have been right here saying, look, I'm okay with this house arrest. Just let me stay with you guys the rest of the time. I'm done. Luke, get back to the disciples and keep going, but I'm getting my RV, and I'm going to keep moving on. That's not what's happening. By the way, I have an RV. I thought I could move on, and I can't move on. The Lord is at work in us, ministering to this people over and over and over again. And not only does he do that, is he provides all that we need for the task at hand. He continues to provide in verse 10. They honored us greatly is connected to the last words. They gave us whatever we needed on the boat. All our provisions. Remember, they had thrown it all off into the sea. These men had nothing. They can't work enough over the last several, last several weeks through the months to earn, these, to earn all these things back. This island coughs it up in God's providence for them and provides for them. For why? For Paul's trip to Rome. For gospel ministry that's going to go to the highest points of the government. He strengthens and provides as he sends us on. He is calling us to continue on and he will provide for us as we continue on. His purposes are sure and his gospel mission is continuing on for sure. And our hope is this hope. His future grace his future power, his future purpose is being unfolded and delivered to us. God is not done revealing his grace, his power, and his purposes. The band can come to the stage. So what are you being brought safely through? What has been the last year been like? Does it feel like you guys just made it through the storm? We did. It feels like we just got through the storm. And we were hit again with another wave. But what gets us through the next one is he provides for us after that storm. 
He calls us on after that storm. He will reveal his power as his promise to us after the storm. No matter what's coming in the next wave. I would love to say if you have been through the worst nightmare of your life, I'm grateful that it's finally over. And I hope it never happens again. Well, the hope that we have, an anchored hope, it was an anchor that was cast out into the sea for us over 2,000 years ago. Christ died for us. But he was raised again to life. I spoke with a precious family this last week who are now after what seems like the worst storm in their lives in a long time. And they admit it feels like the rest of the world around them is just moving on. The Lord is moving us on, but he is providing for us along the way. We're not like the unbeliever who doesn't have his power. And if you're here this morning, you've not believed in Christ. Believe in him. Believe in Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in him. It does not matter after that that what was coming is the worst storm in all of our history, which is the coming wrath of God. It is the worst storm that's coming. But if you are anchored in Christ through faith and repentance, you will get through that storm. There will be that moment where heaven opens and the captain of the ship is going to look you and I in the face and say, you're home. And it will never happen again.